This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Fi podcast. I'm Carl Jensen with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. Doug, today we are going to go in a time machine and tell our younger selves what we would do if we could go back in time. Like every, I think we should frame this like everything is pretty much the same. We get the same job maybe, but yeah, we could tweak that too. What would you do different with money and potentially your life if you could go back in time? Do you have a big one to start us out? I think I would make a lot of the same decisions, but there are definitely some things to tweak, especially around, as you could imagine, saving in specific ways and then like kind of spending a little bit better. But a lot of the stuff I want to keep the same just so we could go back and, you know, this this concept, we, we usually don't do this, Carla. Like we, we are usually looking forward, right? We're thinking of the future. We're trying to plan. We're not regretting the past generally, right? Yeah, I think so. Yes. Okay. Perhaps the purpose of this is to help other people out so they don't make the same mistakes. Right. And I think it can apply to, you know, people that are not in their, say like 24, 25, because we were we're kind of slow starters, I think, right? So you, you graduated from college when you were what age? Yeah, like 25. I, I messed around. Yeah, I was like 24, yeah. So in most of my friends, they were like 22, 21. I think Elizabeth, my wife, I think she made it through like undergrad in like three years, got a master's before I even finished my <laughs> my bachelor's. So I don't know. We're, we're just a little slower, which I mean, maybe that's another lesson here. Like, look at us. We're doing all right now, but we were... We're total mess. So yeah, what about you? Would you have any big changes? Yeah. So there's hope for everyone is what Doug is saying. <laughs> yeah. So we're like the lowest common denominator. If we can do it, you can too, because we suck. Let's see if I could go way back in time. The first thing I do, and I, I should back up. I'm not quite as bad as I said. I think I graduated at 23, but then I went to pharmacy school, quit that. Then I went to computer school. So I finally got a job and finished computers when I was 25. But that is a great segue into the first thing I would have done different. I would have studied computers instead of biology and chemistry because unless you want to go to school for half your life to become an MD or something like that, there aren't a lot of great jobs if you're a biology and chemistry major. I, I love computers. I just never had any exposure to it when I finally did. I'm like, this is awesome. But so, yeah, that's the first thing I would have done. And maybe... To add something to that, maybe I wouldn't have even gone to college. I just would have gone to a computer boot camp. So instead of going for four years, you can go to these boot camps that are, they're rigorous and they're they're long, but not super long, maybe six to nine months. And a, a lot of them will kind of guarantee you a job if you can successfully complete these things and a good paying job too, just like you would have went to college. They weren't that common, what, like right when you got, say, like 23, 24, right? Yes. Okay. So you, you would have almost had to go to like a university or like put together your own studying or whatever, right? Yeah, that, that's a good point. I probably would not have been able to do the code bootcamp now, but for, for anyone who is considering this now, for any youngins out there, it's uh, it'd be a great thing to do. And I think college was a lot of fun, but mm. I don't know. Making money was a lot of fun too. I don't know. 
Yeah. Well, and thinking about it, so I would potentially get a double major in maybe like some communications or English or write something where I could develop my writing and communication skills and get an engineering degree. I think that would have been much better. Engineers are traditionally not great communicators. The ones that are end up being in management. I'm not that good of a engineer or general employee. I'm not good at that much stuff. I'm just okay in a handful. And I, I think that would have been a great skill to layer on top. Plus, I would have had the opportunity to go to a more fun schools. Like, so I went to Georgia Tech. Those days, I didn't find it very fun. It was very difficult. I didn't have a great time. It was only like 30% female or something like that, which just makes it less fun, in my opinion, yeah. right? So I would have gone for a couple years at our rival school, University of Georgia, where it was like 70% female. Seems more fun to me. Go there for a couple years, finish up at Georgia Tech, and then I have like a more well-rounded college experience plus two degrees. So if I, if I was going back, I would potentially change that. Cool. I have another question about education, and then we'll get off this topic. And I'll back up a second before I get to my main point. Did you hear what Elon Musk told to Disney after he was being interviewed on stage somewhere and someone said, oh, Disney quit advertising on the Twitter platform? Did you hear his response? I caught I caught wind of that. Yeah, what was it? I think it was, go fuck yourself, Disney. Yeah. So then I learned last week, or I think it was earlier this week, that Elon Musk is starting his own school. Have you heard this news? No. Like he filed, I think he's putting $100 million of his own money. C can you imagine, based on the GFY comment, what his marketing and communications <laughs> classes are going to be like? <laughs> Just a big That's middle great. finger. Do you know anything else about the school or what's the deal? Yeah, I think they're going to focus hardcore on like STEM stuff. What I think he's looking to do is build a pipeline for people to work at like with Tesla and SpaceX stuff. So it might be a good move on his part. But yeah, I probably wouldn't sign up for the communications and marketing class. Or maybe I would. That could be fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. All right. So let's wait. Were you going to make another point? No, that's it for school. Okay. So let's talk about our first job and salary, if we could remember it, and we'll give it in the the dollar amounts of those days, we didn't do the conversion and kind of what we did when we first got the job, what we actually did, and then what we would do a little bit differently. So what was your first job? So you you went to school, you quit, you started back, and then you finished the the computer school. Was it a boot camp that you went to? It was, yeah. It was like uh, Y2K was going on then. So it was a 30-week program to tell you how to remediate Y2K code. So there was tons of demand for that at the time, 1998, 99. You could get a job very easily and a well-paying job. Okay. And it was it's the, the source of office space, right? That was... <laughs> That was all they do. Yeah. So you had to do 30 weeks to learn how to, to make the, the two digits uh, into four? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. All right. So you got a job, and how much did you get paid? 37100 I think. Okay. Did you feel good about that? or You know, actually, I took the lowest paying job because it looked like a fun place to work at. It looked like there were lots of young people there, and it seemed like they had a good culture, but it turned out it was horrible. And it was the worst. I should have taken the... Motorola job that offered me 43000 a year instead. 
Okay. And what, what year was that? Was that 99 or 98? Uh, yeah, that was right at the end of 98. 98. Okay. So you made 30, you said 34? I think it was 37,100. 37,100. Okay, cool. So it wasn't as fun as you thought, even though it looked like there were fun people in there. Okay, cool. So what, what did you do as far as saving and all that stuff? That part I did do right. I signed up for the 401k and did everything I should have on that end. Um, yeah, so no mistakes there. How much were you contributing? Were you like, I'm going to max this out? Because I think back then the cap was maybe like 16, 17,000, right? Yeah, I had tons of debt. I had $60,000 in college debt, 50,000 in student loans and 10,000 in credit card debt. So I think I put like 5,000 into it my first year. Okay. And you did you have your sights set on like increasing? You were just like, got to pay off the debt. But you, you knew instinctually that you should invest and pay off debt at the same time? Did you know that? Yeah, I did. And I think I was doing enough to get the match and maybe a little bit more. I think the match might've been 2,500. So I doubled the amount that I needed to get the full match. But yeah, I was also paying off my loans. Damn, that's nice. Why did you know to do that? Because some people may say, oh, you got to pay off that debt first. Like, how did you know the returns were going to be better? That's a great question, and I'm not sure I know the answer. If I were to think about it now, I would say that I probably looked at the, I think the interest rates on the loans were pretty cheap. I think it might have even been like 3.9% or something like that. So I think in my head, and this is still how I think now, by the way, I could make money from investments, so I should I should invest and capture that delta. And this is how I think now. We actually bought a house with cash to get a good deal. And I did a cash out refinance. I took on debt, took out a mortgage because the mortgage is like 2.75. And I think I can do a lot better than that in the markets. I know that's a very unpopular action in the FI space. So so I don't know. I hope that's why I did it. But Yeah, very smart. I mean, especially at that age. And yeah, just I'm often impressed. You know, you're so much smarter than you look. <laughs> I appreciate that. Is that a compliment or an insult? I don't know. Or both? Yeah, luckily both. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that, I mean, that is, that's awesome because I'm sure I did not look at it in the same way that the, you know, just my dumb luck was close to the same. Okay. So you, Doug, you had no debt, right? You graduated debt-free. I So caveat, I actually had about, I think it was, say, $10,000. It was from the very first two quarters of school. So the advised, the financial advisors were like, you should get these loans, even though I had scholarships for, uh, you know, most of what I needed. They, they were like, you should get these loans are really good to get these loans because it was like a plus loan. I don't know. All, I don't remember all the details. And then after I think two quarters, I was like, I have enough. I don't need this extra money. So I'm not going to get these loans anymore. So I stopped getting them. So they just remained from the first couple quarters. So how did you pay for your school after the loans? Number one, I, I did have some scholarships, but I was in the co-op program, which is like an internship, but you typically go back to the same company and you alternate every term. So I would go to school for a semester and then work for a semester. So that's why it took longer, but you get, you know, great job experience and you get out of school and actually like get to, to work, which was fun. Yeah. That's pretty cool. What was the balance of working half the time and going to school? Like that's probably pretty 
Like that sounds super appealing to me because I don't know, school is kind of fun, but you got to go back and do homework when you've got a job, you're probably just working and then you get a taste of what it's actually like. And maybe like, did you get hired? Uh, I know who your, your first employer was Accenture. Is that correct? Right. And did you have a co-op with them when you were in school? No, no, that's a good company. I never would have been able to get hired there. I got referred. Um, so that's how I got in the door there. But with my co-op job, I worked at Nortel Networks, which they, they were big back in the day. You probably heard of yeah. them, right? Yep, I remember Nortel. And then they went out of business in the dot-com uh, bubble situation. But I worked there for a few years. And cool thing, they actually allowed co-ops to put money into a 401k. So I I did that and it was great. I made wow. good money. The the stupid one of the mistakes that I made was I didn't roll it over. I was I just cashed it out. It wasn't a ton materially, it wouldn't have made a huge difference, I don't think. I'd hate to look at like a 50-year compound interest table. That would be uh scary, but it was, you know, a few thousand bucks probably. But I was 20. Yeah. So it would make a difference in the long run, but also not not at all. But if I looked at the sheer number, 50 years of compounding, of course, I would have had to roll it over. There's tr some transaction fees, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. anyway, I worked at Nortel. Because of the dot-com bubble, they didn't bring me back on. They kind of ended that program, so they didn't bring most of the folks. So I found another job, worked for a little bit. But it was great because we earned good money. I was making like... 15, 18 bucks an hour. And it was, you know, back then minimum wage was what, five bucks, 550, something yeah. like that. So I was getting paid like a decent amount of money, which made going to work more fun. We had our evenings free and we would go hang out, party, have a great time. And we actually like earned some money knowing we would have to pay for some school at some point, but you could still have some fun with, with a decent salary. Super cool. Yeah. They also knew we were cheap labor. So we got uh, overtime, a lot of overtime, time and a half. Wow. Yeah. So it was, it was a great time. It was very fun. Holy cow. Can, can I borrow some money, Doug? <laughs> it was a long time ago. Long time ago. <laughs> okay. So those were the sort of the college years. And then when I got a job, I made decent money. So this was 2004. 2004, got my first job. My friend referred me. And I made 52,000. So good salary. It was right where I should have been for like an engineer, a computer engineer in those days. And, you know, got in, into consulting. And like you, I knew I wanted to put some money away. So 401k. And I, because I had very low debt and I was kind of making minimum payments on the student loan, I was able to max out my 401k for a couple years. So I remember like going through maybe the first few months, I just did the match, maybe I think three, 6%, I can't remember, but it was a little bit, not a ton. And then I think I got a raise, not because of performance, of course, but because it was just the annual time and they gave a raise. And I was like, oh, I think I'm going to max out my 401k like this year. And I was like, okay, I'll just, I'll turn up the contribution to like 25% or something like that. So I maxed it out for a couple of years. Wow. Nice. Yeah. And it, I mean, really paid off, like laid a good foundation and allowed me to make like some dumber mistakes and decisions later. 
Yeah, that's great. I'll tell you about one of my horrible mistakes. At, at my second job, they had a program where you could invest your 401k in stocks. So I thought I was smart and signed up for that. And that was right around like 1999, mm. beginning of 2000. So I I dumped it all into companies like CMGI. Do you, do you remember that at all? Or, yeah. Uh, there was one of those internet bubble companies and there was a famous mutual fund, which might have been the poster child for the Y2K boom. It was called Munder NetNet, N-E-T, N-E-T. So I, I put a bunch of money in that. And, and yeah, I, I remember that thing. At one time, it had 10 x itself. It went from like 10 bucks to 100 and then it went to zero. <laughs> oh, man. So most of my money from that time period uh, evaporated, which was a little bit difficult lesson, but best to learn early on when it's not going to, when you can recover from it. Um, so yeah, that was hard. So we're talking about what we would do different. So we we did the 401k, that was great. The Roth IRA was created in 1998, right? That's when the tax code changed. So you, it was like fresh. When did you start yours? Roth, oh, I think it was, I don't even know, probably sometime in the 2000s, maybe 2005. Okay, right about the same for me. The the funny thing, I you know, I complained about that insurance company that sold me a whole life plan. I also opened a Roth IRA and they they were like, this is really good. You should contribute to this. In a few years, you're probably going to be earning so much money that you won't be able to contribute anymore. So you should start putting money in there, which was true. I was like, I, I don't think I'm going to earn that much money. But it was like, you're going you're to be surprised. You don't think it's going to happen, but you will. And... I'm glad that I got it started when I did. So, nice. but it, that was like 2004, 2005. Cool. Of course, I had that stupid whole life. So that <laughs> captured, <laughs> captured the, some of the benefit and, you know, goodwill towards that company. But yeah. Who is, were you married at that time or not yet? No. yet right. Okay. Yet. So who is your beneficiary in your whole life? I think it was... I don't remember for a little while, I probably like made it my parents or something like that. And I think I, you know, signed it over to a girlfriend at one point and then I didn't end up marrying her. So took her off. (laughs) So yeah. How about your beneficiaries? Yeah. What did you do for yours before you were married? Yeah. I don't have any idea. I probably just left it blank. I didn't designate anything. So what would have happened then? It goes to the state. I guess it would have probably gone to my parents at that point. Yeah. As they like go through probate or whatever, probably would have ended up. With your parents. Yeah. I should okay. make sure I have beneficiaries now. No, I'm just kidding. I do have them now. <laughs> okay. So we would have potentially set up our Roth IRAs a little sooner. If I would have known, I probably would have set up a Roth when I was co-oping. Like that would have been the smartest thing to do is like invest in a Roth early on, maybe save a little bit less money. And I mean, I was a spender too. So at some point I I was like, oh, I'm going to earn a decent salary. Like I'm earning good money now. So I would off, if I had a good opportunity to go on a little vacation or a trip, I would do it. Never accumulated like a ton of debt, but if something looked fun, I would usually do it, which is, you know, it, it made me save a little bit less, but looking back and after reading Die With Zero, I feel really good about those decisions. Even if I was like, Maybe you shouldn't spend, a, you know, $800 on a spring break vacation down at Panama City Beach. But I did, and it was fun. You know, you go to foam parties or something back in those days. Do you remember that? <laughs> I, I've never attended one, but I think I saw it on MTV at one point. 
It's disgusting. Don't don't do it. If you have the chance to uh, go to a foam party, just don't do it. Sounds like a recipe for a, what is that? Hoof and mouth disease or something. <laughs> it was it was gross. It was real gross. But yeah, we we made it out of there. Like no no STDs. No you know other hoof and mouth issues. <laughs> so, so Doug, I want to tell you about one thing I did right. At the same job where I invested in these bad in these bad mutual funds, and I'd like to hear about your investments after I, I tell you this story. But everyone was in competition with each other. For example, in my department, every time someone, so everyone wanted to have a fancy car, so they would buy. I remember my boss had an Audi TT, another boss had a BMW, another dude had a Lexus, and what they would do, they'd go buy this car, and then they'd take a picture of it and send the whole department the picture of the car. So I kind of felt pressure to do that. Uh, one time I was talking to my boss, her, a, a great person. I think this part of her was flawed. And I probably told you the story, but in case the audience, ha, audience has not heard it, she just bought a new BMW 3 Series. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. And she's like, oh, Carl, you should get one too. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, maybe my my car now works fine. She's like, well, if you don't buy something like this, like you might never find like a, a partner in life. I'm like, wow. And I don't want to... I thought it was kind of a shitty comment, but I don't want to, she was nice otherwise and a great manager. I don't want to be too mean or say anything to her. I'm like, well, why do you think I, I need an expensive car if I, if I want to get married? She's like, well, you have to, you have to demonstrate that you have wealth and that you know how to make money. And this is a great way to do that thing. And I thought about it, but I don't think I ever seriously entertained that. I'm just like, you know, my car works fine. And it wasn't even a bad car. I'm not going to do that. So I was happy. I, I resisted that. That's probably one of the best things I ever did. Cause again, that compound interest, if I would have spent 40 or 50,000 on one of those cars, that would have been 40 or $50,000 that wasn't working for me this whole time. It probably, probably means something like 500,000 to me at this point, if not a lot more. What kind of car was it? The, the car I had or yeah, the it, one you had. it was an Eagle Talon. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It was a crappy version, very slow. It looked nice, I guess, but yeah, not, not very reliable. And I think you had an Acura Integra at some point, right? I did, but it was a used one I bought for 2400 from a friend. And yeah. I had a similar one. I think we compared years once and I think we had virtually the same car, like kind of a, I mean, it was fine, but yeah, nothing too flashy. Yeah. It was, I think mine was like 2001 or 1998, something like yeah. one of the original. It was a great car. I, I regret getting rid of that thing to this day. Yeah. They were nice. They were nice. So one thing, I, I am reading Morgan Housel's book, Psychology of Money. A little late to the game. It's been out for a couple of years, but you let me borrow it the other day. And there's a section about rich versus wealthy, right? And you can see, you know, rich people, right? Because they, they buy a car, they have to be able to get the loan to buy the car or the house or whatever. So they probably have a high salary, but like that it's demonstrated a rich person demonstrates their, their salary or their income or something, or they're borrowing beyond their means. And a wealthy person has, has a crappy Honda element like you <laughs> or a truck like me, like you don't see it. You don't see wealth. And it's kind of a weird, a weird thing that becomes obvious now that we're older now, but when you're young, it's like, oh Yeah maybe I should get that fancy car or you look at the car and you think, wow, it'd be great to drive that thing. Did you have a, a epiphany at any point where you were like, oh, wow, it's the people 
that are not displaying their wealth. They're yeah. actually wealthy. So I have two thoughts on that. I think it came after reading The Millionaire Next Door because after – I just assumed like, my grandma was obsessed with a show called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. So I just thought that's what you did when you got money. You did stuff like that. You bought helicopter rides and all the crazy shit they would see on, on that TV show. But then after reading that, I'm like, wow, these these relatives I thought weren't doing so hot. They're probably the ones who really have money. And uh, a couple of years ago when we lived at our previous house in Longmont, this is story number two. I learned that these the ladies in the neighborhood would have a ladies' night, and, and I learned through secondhand conversation that one of them that they had a conversation where they said, "What did they say? If you could marry some other person on the block, who would it be? That's not your husband." And one of them said, "I would, I wouldn't marry Carl because I think I see him working on his car, and I, I think they struggle with money or something like that." So they thought we were struggling with money, and we were probably the best off on the block wow do you know if anybody picked you <laughs> I, I i don't think so probably not maybe like third or fourth but there, there was only three or four people there so it's like being picked last for the sports team i'm, <laughs> I'm just the one that's left and so, someone's got to be last doug so who would you pick on your block now <laughs> no i'm just kidding let's take a really weird turn <laughs> I, I live around a, my uh, neighborhood skews older so that would be a, a pretty weird maybe you'll be higher up on the list then buddy yeah maybe <laughs> I, I might be close to the top of that man that'll make that christmas party a little more fun huh? yeah yeah so so i'm curious doug to back up a second it, it sounds like you did a lot of things right with your money what did you specifically invest in because back then i don't think index funds were that well known i didn't even know what they were so i didn't invest in them were you in actively managed funds or did you actually know what an index fund was back then? I am not sure. I think I kind of lucked out in a couple, not, not like a super broad based index fund, but I think I was often in like S and P 500 type things, at least for, you know, 25 or 50%. I would try to diversify. I didn't know what I was doing. So I think I picked some, Mutual funds, which were actively managed, I didn't know to look at the, you know, the the, the fee. What are those expense called? ratio? The expense ratio, yeah. So I, I didn't know to look at those and sort by that to pick. But generally, I think I did mostly fine. And when, when we realized that our financial advisors were doing poorly, it was because basically we each, my wife and I, looked at our. 401ks and we had, you know, maybe three or four funds that we were invested in, probably an index style fund. And we were outperforming our advisors by like a pretty huge margin. And it's like, what the fuck are we even doing paying you guys? So that's when we fired them because we're like, we could do a better job. We just don't know how yet. Yeah. And then eventually we found index funds. Yeah. Nice. What did you do? Oof, I think I would probably just do the exact wrong thing, like look and see which one had the highest one-year, three-year, or five-year performance and go with that, which is probably the exact opposite of what you should do because there's no good, there's probably not a good reason why they had that performance. They probably got lucky and their streak of luck was about to run out, so they're probably set to underperform. So yeah, I would just do that. Like, oh, this one looks great. I, I would check the expense ratios a little bit as well. But mostly it was all performance. Like, look, this one did 23% last year and it's some like obscure Chinese internet thing. And then that one probably went to zero as well. So, yeah. Okay. All right. So we talked about what, what we did, a couple tweaks that we might 
do. Um, anything else from a, you know, retirement account standpoint that you would do? So you, we did your 401k, you opened up a Roth probably after you paid off the debt and you were ready to save more. Anything else? Two things. One more a huge mistake I made was when the f- Great Recession happened, like 2008, 2009, I stopped contributing altogether for like three years, which was a massive mistake. Warren Buffett has the famous quote that the stock market is the only store that people rush for the exits when it goes on sale. So that's the exact time I should have been buying, and I did not. So to younger listeners out there or any listeners, when the stock market takes a dump, don't freak out. That is nothing less than opportunity. So embrace that. I guess the other thing I'll mention, and this probably isn't applicable to many people, but some kind of investments, if you've got investments that might pay you a lot in income, not growth, that would be taxed heavily. We have a self-directed solo 401k and we hold those investments and in, in there for example we have we do private lending so we get payments every month and because it's in that tax i don't think shelter is the right word but uh tax vehicle or investment vehicle the 401k we don't pay taxes on it but that's only if you have if you're going to do syndications and all that stuff maybe look into a self-directed solo 401k but i would also advise you to keep it simple we've done all this work to set this thing up and I've mentioned before on the show that every syndication we've ever had has outperformed its projections, but they've all underperformed the S&P 500. So we could have, I could have not been reading all this bullshit, all these prospectus and what's the plural of prospectus, prospecti? Sure. I don't know. I need to go to that Elon Musk school of fuck you or whatever <laughs> he's going to call it. But yeah, I spent all this time setting this thing up and it's a long process and moving money around to get it there. And then if I just would have picked VTI or whatever, it would have been better off and I would have had a lot more time back to myself. So err on the side of simplicity. It seems like it shouldn't work better, but it usually works better and it saves you a bunch of time and stress and all that stuff. So, okay. Very good. How about you, Doug? Same question back to you. Is there anything you would recommend or people look at or I think that pretty much covers it. Roth 401k Right. I think when the time was right, my wife and I stopped contributing to our retirement accounts, which there's some debate on that. Some people were upset that I said that, but at some point our employers stopped matching our 401k, right? So some companies don't offer that as a benefit. You can contribute, but like they don't match it at all. And we we were like, we want to have some flexibility. We want to put money where we can get to it. So we have a post-tax brokerage account and that's great. We started saving there and we have a good cushion. So, you know, when we have gone to a financial advisor in the last few months, they're like, great, you have a bucket that adds flexibility. Sure, you don't get the tax benefits in the same way you might with a Roth or a 401k, but you have options and we can get to that money very easily when we want to stop working and you get the flexibility. So that's the trade-off. So I would recommend people look at that, figure out what's right for you because some people, it may not make sense to do that. But for us at the time, it made sense. And then you know, after a decade of that, we see it, it did pay off. The other thing I would do 
I would open a solo 401k because I have, I'm self-employed. So I waited to do that for a little while. It was during the period when we weren't contributing. So it wasn't a big deal, but looking back at some of my highest income years, I could have put a decent amount in there or just been a little bit more thoughtful about some tax benefits. It doesn't really matter in the long run, but from a return perspective, I probably could have done a little bit better. Sure. I don't know. All right. Yeah, Doug, I want to circle back to your first point real quick. I saw a I saw Sean Mullaney give a talk at a Camp Fi. It was the one out in California. And he echoed pretty much exa- exactly what you said, that there's a lot of value in contributing to a 401k, a Roth, and even a post-tax, especially if you're going to retire early, because then you have different buckets that you can pull from depending on your situation. I, I've mentioned before that I don't really want to be on Medicaid, so we have to generate income. Because we have a lot of money in 401ks, we can do Roth conversions to generate that income or pull from our post-tax. If we just had, if we were all Roth, I actually know someone who does this, we wouldn't have that option. We'd have no way to generate income if we needed to for some reason in in retirement or anytime else. So yeah, I really like that idea. I've come around to that. It's not just all about saving every nickel you possibly can from taxes, it's about giving yourself, it's also about giving yourself flexibility later on for situations that you might not even be able to predict. Like who knows where the tax code is going to go and what our options are going to be in 10 or 20 years. So it's pretty neat to have different buckets to choose from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And anything else? Yeah. I mean, like you said, we hit most of the the high points as far as like saving and all that stuff. Anything else you would change going back? I would probably change some of my mindset around work, like stop worrying so much. I was always worried about being broke and losing my job and all this shit, and none of it ever happened. I never lost a job in my entire life. It was all great. Were you, so you coded, right, for your professional career? Yeah. Were you pretty good at it? No, I I don't think actually I was. I I was tenacious. Uh, There were some problems I fixed that other people could not fix, but it's just because I stayed there for two hours after everyone else and figured it out. Like I wasn't one of those natural coder people who had a Commodore 64 at like the age eight and were writing like games with helicopters and shit. I, I was a bit of a hack, but I could figure, I could figure stuff out. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think we're a little similar. I mean, I had a good work ethic, so I would stick with it for a long time. And I wasn't, like you said, naturally gifted. So to figure something out, I couldn't pull an all-nighter, right? I would have to work on a project for weeks and or write a paper or whatever. Like I would start as soon as I could because I knew that I was horrible. <laughs> I wasn't very good at it. So I would have to iterate on it or spend a lot of time like figuring it out. I'd have to brute force a problem versus, you know, finding some elegant, beautiful solution that never happened. (laughs) Yeah. But I think this leads to a greater point, Doug, if you could be super smart or have a super strong work ethic or be able to communicate eloquently, don't go to the Elon Musk school of fuck you. The work ethic probably trumps it. I could think of some really smart people in my life who are zeros, like have, haven't amounted to much of anything just because they don't have the work ethic, even though they could have been something great if they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. And one of, one of the things that I, I see is 
people that are really smart, especially like academically, they never sort of hit their failure point in, in school, for example. So then when they get to a job and they have to like maybe work with other people or there's external factors that they can't control, they have a really hard time dealing with it where you and I were used to failure. <laughs> we were just not, not that great, especially at our jobs. <laughs> So, yeah, it's kind of funny how that works out. Look at us now. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. What do you think the mascot should be for the Elon Musk school of FU? Mm. I don't, I am not sure. I haven't read his biography. There's a fresh one that's out, right? I feel like you probably got some good ideas from that one. Yeah. Yeah. Walter Isaacson wrote it. I'm thinking maybe a big middle finger. Like I could see the marching band going out there and playing some foul Mm -hmm. song. And you know, marching bands do those formations. It Mm -hmm. just turns into a big middle finger at some point or some, some other vulgar symbol, a big asshole or something. I I don't know. (laughs) They're spelling F U. Yeah. 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 We'll have to workshop that. Elon, if you're listening, we all will volunteer for this task. <laughs> okay. So I think this that's a very great place to end, end the show. Very <laughs> awkward. I think people will be very interested in the, the sound check today. So do stick around for that. I think we're in a giddy mood today. I think so. It's good. Yeah. Fighting asparagus. Eh, that's not vulgar enough, but he could get pee jokes in there with that. That's true. That's true. That the marching band could have like big asparagus stalks on the top of their head. Oh, that's great. Very bright color. Sexual innuendo. All right. So I think we, do you want to wrap it up or do we need to to tie this in a bow? He does rockets too. So that could be part of the fighting asparagus. Like the rocket kind of looks like asparagus or. I meant for the, uh, (laughs) for the finances. (laughs) Not, Not the. Not the costumes for the, or the uniforms for the, the D- marching band. Doug, I'm trying to get us high paying jobs with Elon Musk. Can you picture that big green rocket or we could paint it like a big dong? He would probably appreciate that too. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a, a great idea. Well, I, I think to summarize, all right, I'll do it. Got it. Uh, save early, save often. Is that, is that it? Yeah, save save early, save often. If you have your choice, try to, if you want to go to school for something that might not have a clear path to a lucrative career, maybe double major or minor in computers or something that to see if you might like it. So you could actually get, I don't want to be too judgmental because I know people who've ma- majored in things that, I won't say anything because I don't want to get hate mail, but things that wouldn't like have been so art. great. <laughs> Is that no, but the thing is, like, you've like a creative person can do great in some other industry versus, yeah, like a closed minded engineer, yeah, like, like us, right? I I even know our people, like our neighbors, they run a firm and they do great, but it's going to take an extra level of skill that, like, maybe to run a business or to be a people person and get contacts, you're going to have to work a little bit harder. Or if you're if you can become a CPA or engineer, you've got a real Mm -hmm. clear path to making money. What are some other majors you hate, like philosophy or English? I'm just kidding. He's, I'm, I'm, I'm making it worse. Okay. I think that's good. And one thing you did, Carl, you changed major. You realized you didn't want to do something and you switched. By the time I realized I didn't want my major, I was like three years in and I was like, I'm just going to finish it. It's going to be better yeah. than like trying to switch right now. So I think people shouldn't, you shouldn't count that out. You have to look at it. So, yeah, it's a lot 
better to switch when you're young and can, even if you do have that sunk cost, if it's something you you know you're not really going to enjoy. God, I was reading about someone who went through med school and he completed it and like passed the exams, but never practiced. But I, I don't remember who that is, cause, so it's a shitty story. But <laughs> but don't be afraid to pivot. You don't want to be miserable the whole rest of your life. All right. I think that's it for today. Check out our Facebook group. We'll link to it. There's a lot of cool stuff going in, in there. I'm currently doing a dry January. I may keep it going a little longer, but we'll see how it goes. And you're cutting back a little bit, but yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll track that kind of stuff in there. So check out the Facebook group. We get questions from there all the time. Yeah. And I'll, if you appreciate the episode, buy me an asparagus, which is actually buy me a coffee. You can contribute money to help make this show less bad. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington, the balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind is pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using. And that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week. do it so doug i was looking at our facebook group and someone it was my friend julie hello julie and patrick in wisconsin she posted that asparagus is a potential hangover not a cure but a preventative so you're supposed to eat asparagus apparently before you drink and it might prevent a hangover doug have you heard this no this is amazing news though very exciting do you know anything about any of the details I looked a little tiny bit and supposedly hangovers are brain inflammation, which is pretty scary. I didn't realize that's what a hangover is, but I guess it's obvious thinking on it now, but supposedly asparagus combats that. And I was, I got distracted and did not read the details, but. Well, the one, the surprising thing is, it's a suppository. So, but yeah, yeah. I've been doing it wrong the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. And. Well, you, you told me this, so suppository, and you told me to use the white ones because they're fatter. Yes, I guess I did tell you that. Yeah, yeah, there is a difference. Yeah, but I don't, I don't even know if we could use this, but we're going to keep running with them. We're just going to push through. So well, what I'm really curious about is like the actual dosage. So I think you do eat it. I think you eat it normal, right? And I'm curious like how much you need to eat to actually like combat a hangover. Yeah, I I have no idea. We'll just have to do some experimentation and uh, 
I was reading about this on Reddit and one guy was like, yeah, this sounds like a great idea. But the issue with me is then I would clue my wife into when I pee in the shower. (laughs) (laughs) Is that, does it just like, are they in the shower at the same time or is it, is it so powerful that it goes through uh, the whole house? Yeah. I I was thinking that same thing because you think the smell would dissipate, you turn the fan on, but maybe, yeah, his, he just has such an effect and maybe some of it's going to be there in the drain and it's hard to get it all completely out. So yeah, I I don't know. It'd be interesting to find out. Do you pee in the shower? (laughs) No. It's Okay. But if you do, I pee in the shower sometimes. But I do usually let it yellow. What, what? How does that go? Let it mellow. If it's yellow, let it mellow. So I'm, I'm very paranoid about water consumption. So okay, I'll pee like four times in the toilet before I flush it. If it's brown, flush it down though, Doug. Okay. Yeah. Standard flushing rules. Yeah. So you got to try peeing in the shower, man. Have you? When's the last time you peed in the shower? You surely have done it before, right? I don't know. I probably have. I guess I just usually. Um, Go to the bathroom before I take a shower. That's like the way I operate. Oh, I take a shower to go to the bathroom. <laughs> have, have you have you ever read about how Andre the Giant went to the bathroom and took showers and all that? The, the pro wrestler? No, no, I haven't. God, this conversation is getting worse by the second. <laughs> so for him, a shower wasn't just for peeing. He, he let it rip. He did his number twos in the shower as well. And I'm not exactly sure the mechanics of that. Did he have to get a, like a plunger and knock it down the drain? But yeah. And I'm not sure why he did that. Maybe he was a very large man. Just like a, what is he, like seven feet tall? So maybe he just had hard a hard time with the logistics of wiping or something. I don't, I don't know. Hmm. Well, we'll have to re- research that. My Google search history is going to be really weird for the next day. <laughs> You'll get some crazy ads. <laughs> 